This is Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine, the most listened to podcast for parents by parents. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our special broadcast called The Talk, a parent conversation about race in America. The talk is something that has evolved for every Black parent from talking about normal development with the birds and the bees to protecting them from police and violent races. But today, I'm going to turn over the show to our special host, Makeda Akolo. Makeda, take it away. Hi, good morning, everyone. I am so happy to see your faces. I'm so happy that we're together. And we're having this super critical conversation, um, fortunately, but unfortunately. You know, I was thinking about how we would sort of open this morning. And I think what comes to mind for me is just for us to reflect a little bit, right? For us to take a few seconds and to reflect on the lives that have been lost, to think about Tamir Wright, Brianna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, George Floyd, and also to think about their loved ones that are still alive and here, right? And and also to think about our own children. So let's take maybe um, eight seconds. I'll put it on my on my calendar, on my, on my um, timer, um, and let's just do that, okay? Beginning now. Okay. So thank you for indulging me because I find myself just sort of running, right? I don't ever really take the time to pause. Um, and it's easy sometimes to get so caught up in everything that we have going on in life and not really connect with everything that's happening around us. So for a proper introduction, good morning, everybody. My name is Makeda Okolo. I come from the platform of Pretty Fab Kid. I have two beautiful boys, Che and Jasir. Che is eight. And just four. And as we open, I'm going to open with some words from one of our panelists here this morning, Georgina Joy Dukes, because it was part of the inspiration for us gathering here today. And so Georgina wrote this article entitled, When My Beautiful Black Boy Grows from Cute to a Threat. And right there was one morning when I was trying to figure out how I would talk to Che, the eight year old, about what was happening with George Floyd. And I was stumped. Like, I just did not know how to approach it. And so I went to YouTube and I began trying to find some recaps of what was happening because he's super critical. And I figured he could connect to like news stories and then a discussion would ensue. Um, it was actually harder than I imagined because I accidentally clicked on the video of the officers with his knee on George Floyd's neck and him gasping, right? That was not uh, my intention because I, you know, so Jay like covered his head with the pillow and I was fumbling with the remote trying to get it off. Um, but it put it set me out on a journey to keep on searching and to figure out, you know, how are other parents handling this? And so let me read Georgina's words because I, it just resonated much. I am the mother of a beautiful, brilliant eight-year-old boy. His name is Romeo and I love him very much. He has beautiful, dark, curly hair that always smells like coconut. When he smiles, his sweet little eyes disappear in his cheeks and his smile becomes so contagious, you cannot help but smile back at him. When we're out, I constantly get compliments about how cute and adorable my Romeo is. But soon those cute compliments will fade and the aforementioned will matter because he is Black. Raising a Black boy is a scary blessing. 
It's like a big countdown from when your child grows from this cute little person into a threatening weapon. Even my, my black baby boy may hate violence, may not believe in carrying weapons or even fighting. The sheer amount of melanin in his skin will make him a threat in a short amount of time. And I wish time would slow down, not only because I want to cherish these sweet moments of his childhood, but also because I know it's only a matter of time before I can no longer protect this beautiful black boy, the ignorant people that will see him as a weapon of mass destruction because of his skin color. How much longer do I have before my eight-year-old son grows from cute to a threat? This is a question I constantly ask myself. Maybe 20 years? No. That can't be right because Ahmaud Aubrey was an unarmed black boy killed at the age of just 24 years old going out for a job. Maybe 10 years old? Nope, that can't be right because Trayvon Martin was an unarmed black boy killed at the age of 17 for just wearing a hoodie. Maybe five years? Right either, because Tamir Rice was an unarmed black boy killed at the age of 12 for playing with, with, with toys in the park. How much time could my son be seen as a threat today? Tomorrow? I am so worried. Worried. I mean, I, you know, it touched me and it resonated with me in ways that I can't explain because... Up until this point in my parenting, I was preparing for how to talk to my children about encountering racist people, police stops, right? I had not really thought about him jogging. I hadn't thought about him and, and Shay is outspoken. He will, he's always trying to correct me and everybody else in the household, right? So he would be someone correcting someone about having their dog not on a leash in a park. Right. And so, Georgina, your your words just spoke to me and I know they spoke to many other parents uh, just around the globe as well. So I want to pause there and pass the mic over, Georgina, perhaps to you first, since since I was just referencing you. Mm -hmm. um, but please introduce yourself and, and share a little bit more about your platform. Hello, everyone. My name is Georgina Dukes, um, and I go by Joy. That is a childhood nickname, which kind of inspired the Joy of Romeo blog that I started. Um, so I'm the mother, again, of a beautiful, brilliant eight-year-old boy. His name is Romeo, and he hasn't been just raising him and teaching him how to become a human being that is in love with himself and that is doing good to others in the world really inspired me to start writing a blog talking about all of the different experiences and journeys we've had growing together as a mother and him as becoming a little man. Um, so I started this blog called Joy of Romeo. And since then, I partnered with allmomdoes.com and I was producing blogs for them. And I'll honestly tell you that what sparked the when my beautiful black boy become grows from cute to a threat, it was actually on Mother's Day when I wrote that blog. And I was just so upset with what happened with Ahmaud Arbery, like crying just really. And I'm just, I, I, I just was like, I don't even know how to start this conversation with my own son. And I shouldn't even have to. So really the, the, part that pushed me is because I had had that all mom does platform. And I'm like, this shouldn't be on black mothers to continue to carry this burden. So I wanted to put a call of action out to other mothers to say, hey, can you stop this? Because every last one of these 
people who have killed an unarmed black boy or man was raised by a mother. So what are you doing to prevent this? So that's kind of what started this whole um, experience of really just trying to make sure that we're doing the right things with raising our kids, but also the burden shouldn't be on us. We need allies to raise their kids, not to constantly have us to protect ours. So that's kind of how the conversation started. I'm so excited to be here with you all today to further my knowledge and to share my experiences as well. So thank you so much for inviting me. We're happy to have you. Okay, okay let's go over to Danny and then close off with Janice. Yeah, sure thing. So my name is Danny O'Fay. I'm the founder of Strong Black Fathers. I was created as a mission to dispel the negative stereotypes that black fathers are not in their children's lives. Um, I myself as a father of a five-year-old, I'm a super active dad. All of my friends around me are super active dads. So it was just like, where is the stereotype coming from? I don't see it. I know that that has been um, in the past, stereotype has been around for a long time. And I personally did not grow up with with a father. So I understand where it comes from, where it did come from but I'm seeing more and more every day that it is not the case. So I wanted to create a platform to share that, you know, this is not happening right now. There are many black dads, young and old, who are completely active, who are in their children's lives and who are doing the thing, the dad thing day in and day out. Um, but also I just wanted to, to show some appreciation to fathers as a whole. Um, I know there's dads all over this, all over this world, black men who, they probably feel under underappreciated as a dad because of this stereotype. So I wanted to just just uplift them um, in some way, sh shape, or form, and, and give them a little bit of love. Um, but you can always follow, you know, the mission. We are at strongblackfathers on Instagram, or you can check out the website, which is uh, strongblackfathers.com. Awesome. Okay, I'll jump right in there. Um, I'm Janice Robinson Celeste with Successful Black Parenting Magazine. I'm the publisher. And of course, this is um, a subject that is dear to my heart, just being a black woman um, with black children. I'm the one with adult black children here. So I'm gonna come with a unique perspective as well as a, as a grandmother. Um, but I um, made it a point to uh, talk to parents about how to talk to your children about what's going on in the world. You know, as a magazine publisher, I want to make sure that we're always, um, of course, on the um, cutting edge of, of what's happening in the news, um, but more so that we um, bring our perspective as Black people to that news and as parents to that news, because every time this has happened, um, it, it, it's another knife in our back and we feel each part of that blade going in. Um, it's not just a new story, you know, it is personal mm -hmm. and we carry that pain around with us um, from incident to incident. And now I think what's going on in the world is that we're just fed up. We're mm -hmm. fed up. And so whatever we can do um, to help our parents to thrive is our goal. And you can't thrive if our children are being murdered and being killed. They're not being protected. And it's our goal to do that in every article that we can possibly put out in every way we can be an advocate as well as an activist. Um, my Instagram is Successful Black Parenting, as you can see here. Everywhere else where Black Parenting 
one, the number one. Uh, our website is SuccessfulBlackParenting.com. And I just want to say, um, I see a lot of people are commenting already, and I welcome you all uh, to this platform. We will answer questions live at the end of this talk. So if you have questions, post them there. We'll put some of the best comments up throughout the show. Um, but I want to encourage you to do it early because uh, there is a delay. So don't wait to the end to post your question. Ask it now. Thanks, Janice. Um, you know, you mentioned pain when you were talking, and it, it makes me reflect on a conversation that I had with some girlfriends of mine. Since COVID, we've been getting together uh, on the last Friday of every month just to kind of catch up and, and support each other. Um, and when I think this was, you know, right when um, George Floyd was killed, we had logged on one Friday night and we were talking. And one girlfriend, her name is Kat, talked about the trauma of being a Black parent of Black children right now. And that also just kind of rang true to me because we walk around with so much, it's not baggage, but it's, it, it's, it's the reality that we live with. So when you um, talked about that, that, that each infraction against our children um, inflicts, it also reminded me also of the trauma that it caused. And that trauma also... Um, impacts our parenting and it impacts our relationships with our children as well. So as Jenna said, we're, we, we want this to be as uh, interactive as possible. So um, at this point, I'm going to ask the panelists and I'm also asking everyone who is listening and watching in, um, you know, when you hear the name Tamir Rice, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, and George Floyd, and you think about your own children, what is one word that sort of comes Danny, let's start with you. For me, it's frustrated. You know, um, you you all have sons, and you talk about you know how you feel about what what the world has for has in store for your sons. I lived it, you know, mm. and it's frustrating that I went through that in my in my youth and up until today. Um, and it's frustrating that my daughter is going to have to deal with that. And we live in a world in which I have to have these tough conversations with her. It's frustrating. It really is. Mm -hmm. Joy? Um, the word that I would choose is disappointment. Like, I just mm -hmm. feel a sense of just disgust and disappointment with the system that we have to live in. The fact that I have to have conversations that other parents of other races don't have to have. I'm just disappointed in the culture that we we have come to know for America. So it's just that that sense of like, how, why? Like just, just utter disgust at what we have to live through every single day as parents raising our children. So disappointment is definitely what comes to mind. Well, for me, uh, the word would be tired. I'm tired of seeing the same thing happen over and over again and nothing really being done about it. Um, there needs to be a nationwide effort to put regulations on who can be a police officer on hate crimes. Um, we march and marched, we kneeled and kneeled and no one listens. And all we're asking for is for them to listen and hear us. We're not saying anything that doesn't make any common sense. We're not saying anything that doesn't help the good of all people of all colors, because whatever is affecting us eventually trickles up to them. 
So they need to support this cause because, you know, we're kind of like the test strips for it, you know, the, the canaries in the mine. If it's happening to us, you need to be aware as a white person that this is going to happen to you. It can happen to your children. And too many people are complacent with, oh, it's not my problem. It doesn't happen to me. But it, it can because you're letting it go. Mm -hmm. And what are you going to do then? Then you're going to join the cause when it's too late. So right. many bodies will have been buried. So many mothers will have buried their sons and daughters and husbands and brothers. You know, that now is the time to act. And we have to put some legislation that makes sense across the board of the United States. All right, Janice, I see you. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. You're right. You know, I think it's impossible not to talk about these issues and not to be impassioned, not to be angry and, and, and to kind of pull in some of the feelings from folks that are listening. Erica Goodwin said fear. Eva Schiffer mm -hmm. terrified. Althea DeBeek said hurt. Jessica Thompson Melton also said hashtag disappointed. And it's true. And we're just walking around. We are a ball of emotion and feeling. Um, and it's unnecessary. And I think that is what is most angering about it is that it is in entirely avoidable and unnecessary. Okay, so let's 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 talk about some some other things. Um, I would really like to, to to get your thoughts on a few questions that I've been kind of stewing around with in my head. So, as Black parents, um, how do cases of police brutality and racism impact parenting specifically? Because that's where I am really um, kind of struggling, right? You know, how do I um, parent in a way that is truly reaching my sons um, and not in a way that, you know, makes them feel fearful every day. So I'd love to hear some more about, you know, how has it impacted your parenting styles? And anyone can jump in. I can go first, even though my, my children are adults, I still have my grandchildren that I care for on a daily basis. But I, I can tell you this, um, when we constantly see the abuse and murder of black bodies on television and you see you and your children in their places, um, it, it truly deeply cuts you. It affects you. And nothing hit home more than um, the recent death of George Floyd, where he was crying out for his dead mother. And as he laid there being smothered by a police officer knee and all mothers felt that call, all mothers felt that in their bones, especially when we found out his mom was dead. Um, as a mom, you become more protective. I have found myself at times putting my um, pepper spray in my pocket <laughs> um, and walking with my granddaughter um, on walks, normal walks we would normally do in a neighborhood only because I don't know if I'm going to find a racist because I see some of these things on the internet or am I going to be stopped by a cop because we're in a mostly white neighborhood and we really don't belong there according to them. Um, so, I mean, we live there, but they don't, you know, they don't expect that. So, um, you know, I think the protectiveness, um, trying not to have so much anxiety about it is very difficult because the more you see and you see nothing's being done, you feel powerless and helpless and you want to make your children feel safe. As far as my adult uh, children, you know, I'm always um, telling them just to always come home safely. Make sure if you a police officer is following you, try to stay calm. And I'll tell you a story about that probably later on um, in the broadcast. But yeah, try to stay calm. It's very difficult. Um, you know, be polite. Um, you know, we get in trouble a lot of times when we assert our rights, which shouldn't be. 
Mm -hmm. um, but we need to know our rights as well. And if they are pushing it, then you can start calmly telling them what your rights are, um, because you know that can get us arrested for some reason. Um, some reason we get resisting arrest, and when we haven't even been arrested yet. I never understand. I can't understand that. And I think that needs to be changed where you cannot put somebody in your, your car, police car for resisting arrest when they haven't been charged with anything. Mm -hmm. It does. It's backwards. It doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. um, but that's it. Anxiety protectiveness um, it has changed the way I parent and the way I care for my grandchildren. So instances like this have made me think about the fact that when we're, we're raising our kids and we're raising them in a way for for we want them to be kids and we want them to be able to enjoy life but the thing is we need to raise them for as the world is not as it should be mm. and that and that that that's the part that hits home because there's so much going on in the world right now our black children have so much that they're gonna have to worry about that all these other kids aren't gonna have to worry about there are things that we're gonna have to have talks with them about um it's 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 funny uh, my daughter was just at a party not too long ago um and this girl touched her hair. And I taught, I taught, taught my daughter at an early age, don't just let anybody come up to you and, and grab your hair, right? But what, what even struck me as more interesting was the mother of this white girl grabbed her daughter and said, hey, you can't just go around touching anybody's hair. So to me, right now, I think that we're in a, we're, we're in a different time in that people are starting to become more cognizant. They're starting to become more aware of what's going on. As black parents, we still have to deal with things that they will never understand. Mm -hmm. But it's nice to see that that there is some type of there's some type of shift. There is a cultural shift happening right now, in which we are we're we're not we don't feel absolutely alone. Mm -hmm. You know, there are allies, and, and and Katie, you were just talking about that. There are allies that are out there. Mm -hmm. But as black parents, it is our job to raise our kids in a way in which th this world is right now. In this world. To, it's, to, it's 2020. It is not that different than when people were fighting for civil rights in 1960. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And I would also say that what police brutality and all of that in the news has, is as a parent, it has made me feel like I'm a walking oxymoron. That I'm encouraging my child to be fearless, be unstoppable, say what you mean, mean what you say, always speak up, be brave. Like I'm telling him all of this stuff to encourage him. We have affirmations all over the wall that, and in the mirror, I make him say like phrases every morning that you'll never give up. You'll always like strive to do what's right and work hard. But then at the same time, I have to have a conversation to teach him to be this docile human being to this person that has perceived authority, right? Like, how do I do that as a parent? Like, educate him, push in him to be fearless and unstoppable, but at the same time say, this person, because they have this perceived authority, can basically rip everything that I've taught you away and you just better do whatever they say because I want you to live, like I want you to come home. Mm -hmm. And that has been like my biggest struggle with this. It's like, I feel like to him, because he just, you know, he's like your son, Makeda, like he's like, well, why? Like you're telling me to be unstoppable and always fight for the truth and do what's right. But if someone tells me that I have to do something that I know is wrong, I need to do it. Right. Like, but I think it goes into what you were saying, Danny. I just have to raise him for what this world is. But the thing is just not right. And I really think it's questioning the way that I parent because it's making 
Like it's just making it seem like some things I'm telling him could be a lie because it doesn't work for him as a young black man. So I think that's where uh, the police brutality is really challenging us as black parents. I, I want to, can I address that a little bit? Um, my background is also, you know, early child specialist and parent educator. So you're doing great raising him that way. But what you have to tell him that as he grows, there is a time and a place for everything. And that if this happens to him, his only goal is to get home safe to you, where you can then help him assert that assertiveness in, a, in the proper place, which is in court with your lawyer. Okay, so that's where he can exert that power and about his rights. But his main goal right now in this a case where he may be threatened is to get home to you. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I love that. Mm. Gosh, I feel like I need time to reflect <laughs> between <laughs> each of the points that you're making because they are all gems. They are all, all gems. Um, so I, don't, I don't want us to only focus on the the trauma and the struggle, which I know is a reality, and we need to keep talking about it. But I feel like um, Joy, you kind of started commenting on this a little bit. You know, I, I want to know more about how you're finding the balance between empowering your children and not raising them solely from this dark place of, of fear and anger. And I, I'm at our chat, and I see Danielle and that she finds herself over disciplining in sort of this anxious anticipation that the world will see them as wild, as out of control, as opposed to free-spirited and genius and brilliant and full of energy, right? So, you know, I I, I know, Joy, you mentioned the affirmations. Are there other things that um, you have found helpful to um, inspire love and confidence um, in your children? Yeah, I mean, I think that I have learned to raise Romeo for who he is, not who I want him to be. So I've just, at this age, again, he's eight, I have learned to engage with him. Whatever he's interested in, engage with that, use that as a lesson to teach him about certain things that I need him to know. So for instance, right now he's into Marvel, superheroes, thinks he is unstoppable. Like when he want, what he wants to be when he grow up is a superhero, right? And I've just been using that as a way to educate him to be fearless, to be unstoppable. But you're right, like just saying there are bad people in the world, right? We saw Avengers Infinity War. We saw how that ended, where that that bad person won. So what does that mean? Like, does that mean that you give up? Does that mean that you just quit? No. You got to reset. You got to think about how to have a different strategy and come back and do what you think is right. So I think I'm using different tools that he is engaged with to have life life skills to teach him those type of conversations. I know one of the one of the most I would say tender moments that really like caused me to cry in front of him during this whole um, conversation or just what's been happening with the Black Lives Matter movement is he was watching me scrolling on Instagram and he saw the um, post from Band-Aid. Band-Aid is now making uh, Band-Aids for all complexions. And he was just like, wait, they don't even think my scratches are need to be covered? Like they don't think my boo-boos need to be loved on? And that was such, I mean, he was in tears and it was just Band-Aids. I just would have never thought that, but that caused a whole 
another conversation of how I had to educate him about his worth. You are worthy. Your boo-boos, your scratches. Our mama will kiss them all day, but they are worthy to be covered and blended in and things like that. So I think just every moment and time that your child is asking you a question or having a conversation, even if it's just so, you know, kids just talk about the craziest things that you engage with them in that moment and try to use it as an opportunity to talk them through a life skill or something that's going to end up empowering them or saving them down the line. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Janice, Danny. Janice, I'll let you go ahead. OK, well, you know. The, the world is changing. It's constantly changing, especially 2020. It hit us like a wrecking ball, right? But hopefully this will be a year of reckoning um, that we can uh, make some wrongs right. Um, either way, <clears throat> excuse me, I think, um, you know, we we have to come to keep coming together, come together as advocates. We have to keep fighting. We have to um, care for, our, to make sure the children feel safe. Um, like in your instance, Regina, I think you're raising him properly. He's aware um, and how old is he? He's young. How old is he? He's eight. <laughs> eight. He's aware, more aware than I was at age eight. Yeah. He knows that Band-Aids um, did something they should have been doing all along. And, you know, guys, there is a black Band-Aid company just on the side <laughs> that um, did the same thing. And Band-Aid pretty much just took their idea and did not um, partner with them, which I think they should have partnered right. with the black company was doing this very well. Um, so you might want to look into that and Google it uh, to get your band-aids, or that band-aid is a brand, but to get your bandages from uh, that, the black owned company. But yeah, so he's aware that I think that's pretty amazing. And that says a lot uh, about you as a mom, because um, one of the ways we can defeat some of this racism is by knowing our self-worth uh, from a very young age, and that's instilled from the time they hit this grounds, you know, running, um, that you are reading them books in their image, you are um, educating them at their level about what's going on in the world. Um, age appropriateness is very important that you don't give them too much, but you give them just enough where they can defend themselves. As they get older, we have to be able to give um, children what we call clapbacks that are positive, though. Clapbacks that are positive about who they are, not to break someone else down, but to tell them how you cannot break me down because this is my heritage and this is why my hair is this way and this is how I like it. And guess what? My hair can go straight, it can go curly, I can have pink hair tomorrow. Like, you know, what about you? Can your hair do all of these wonderful things from braids on down? No, I don't think so. So, you know, they have to have that confidence and pride because you've instilled it to them in them. In such a young age. And Georgina, I want to commend you because it seems that that's exactly what you've done so that he is aware. And so when someone comes at him later on, and I'm not talking about police, I'm talking just racist kids in school, or, um, you know, uh, we don't ever want them to confront a racist adult, whether it's a cop or a regular person on the street, because they're, um, they could be threatened. Um, but I think you're doing a wonderful job with that. True, true. Um, for me, I agree with you, Georgina, 100%. I find what my daughter enjoys, which is dance, which is singing, and I double down into it. Just recently, I bought a, a video game. It's like Just Dance, and you set up a camera, and you just dance to it. And this little girl has been going on that game for hours. I'm like, we got to do something else now. It's a lesson plan. We got we work to do. But honestly, it's, it's, it's amazing to see uh, her find something that makes her feel powerful, that makes her feel confident, that makes her feel, you know, invincible and to just go after it. 
we had her in in a dance before in ballet and she would feel nervous being in front of the mirror and it would make her feel small and she would, I would talk to her about this and she said I'm embarrassed I don't like when other people watch me but now she's starting to get more and more confident and I'm seeing it in her and it's, it's just amazing but also affirmations you know affirmations I think I think speak very well into the children's minds and as they continue to get older they're going to hear your voice like your voice will become their subconscious some of these affirmations things like that like i think back to my own childhood and there's certain things that happen today and i can think of my own parents voice in my head saying the things that they told me as a kid right so it, i know that that's that's going to be the case as my daughter gets older so i make sure to, to speak life into her mm-hmm. but you know recently we had a we had a situation um with a girl down the street don't, don't I'm not 100 percent sure of what happened at all but you know, this girl would come over, play with my daughter, they would hang out, and then all of a sudden, nothing. Hmm. You know, my daughter would go over there to see if she wanted to play, the girl would not come out to play. When we would drive by, the girl would run back inside. If she was outside, she would run back inside to hide. Hmm. And to the life of me, I don't want to say what I think it is. Hmm. You know, I don't want to say out of nowhere this became the case but we had recently met their parents mm-hmm. so in my mind what else what else could it be what what and and you know i had to have this conversation with my daughter just to say i didn't i didn't even bring up race not yet because i was worried about it i was worried do i bring this up to my five-year-old daughter right now mm-hmm. i just told her, you know sometimes people just don't want to play you know they they sometimes people move on yeah. I explained to her in, in such a way, but in back of my mind, it would, it, I cannot let it, I still can't let it go. Did this have to do with race somehow? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, inside, black people know when they're being discriminated against. You know, people yeah. are always like, you know, how do you know it's this? We know, we've been so experienced with it. It's like when you're at work and someone doesn't like you and you did nothing to them, but you know they don't like you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me help you relate that to that. But we we know. So um, just make sure you tell let her know that it's not a you problem. This is a them problem. Mm-hmm. They're having some issues over there. So it's best that we stay away. <laughs> you know, it's not her. And 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 that's really important. And I, I just want to say, Danny, your affirmations are great. I think that's one of the best things a parent can do every morning with their child is just go through affirmations. I even um, made some for um, teens um, that were special to me and I put them on our YouTube channel. Um, so teen affirmations, just so they can hear it over and over again, because I used to be a high school teacher. So a lot of teens don't have that parent there because they're at work in the morning. So I made one and I put it on my YouTube channel for the teens that I used to teach. Um, so it's there if anybody ever needs it, they can also use it. It's a free tool that you can use if you can't be there um, to say these wonderful things to your teenager. Um, so I hope that people actually utilize it. No, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. And, you know, something that occurred to me is that we're talking at least in my workplace and, and in my circles, where we've been talking a lot about microaggressions as of, and I've been thinking about microaggressions as something that only happens to adults. But then mm-hmm. the experience that you just shared also highlights that microaggressions happen amongst children as well, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so this just adds another layer to the talk, you know, and, and, and in my mind, I thought the talk was something that happened, you know, at 16 maybe, you know, um, at the very like one moment in time, but it, it it really feels and seems as though the talk is something that is iterative. That's that is something that is ongoing, 
And the only thing that changes is perhaps the approach as they age. And so that's my next question for you all. And also my question for those that are on Facebook and, and watching, have you had the talk, any version of the talk with your children? Um, you can answer sort of yes or no and, and share why not um, in the chat, but also to uh, Danny Joy and Janice, I'd love to also hear from you as well. I can start with just how I've had to kind of phase it. Again, I have an eight-year-old, so it's like I have to phase it for where he is in his development. But I think the first time I had the talk was around four or five years old. Um, and it's because he was the only Black child in his entire school, right? Or, or in the entire kindergarten class. So there were Black children, but they were in other grades. And... I just remember he was saying, again, the microaggressions that you just talked to, you just talked about that they were saying, I don't need sunscreen, or they were saying that my hair is different. Like, like why, is, why is it different? And I just think for him, that's when race really became a thing. So I just had to have the talk for him to understand what was the difference between his hair and their hair or his skin and their skin. And honestly, it was just a sheer conversation about melanin and biology just to show the difference. Like, you know, at that time, just to say you have a little bit more of these cells than they do. Um, and then recently with everything happening, he's at this eight-year-old age where he's going on play dates. He's starting to get invited to sleepovers. So I find that our talk is a little bit more real and intense just because I just want to make sure he's protected, especially when I can't watch him. So if one of his white friends are inviting him over, I'm just making sure you stay where people can see you. Like, just make sure I give him a clear look, a clear book bag. I don't want them to think that you're stealing anything. You got your own stuff at home. Like, so it's just that type of conversation. And he's asking thoughtful questions like, well, why would they think I would steal something? Okay, baby, remember, it's about this melanin, some history mm -hmm. there. So um, I think that I'm starting to have the talk, but I'm just really trying to be thoughtful about it. Again, because I want him to stay empowered and encouraged, but I just want him to move smart in the situations he's starting to come in at this age. Okay. Well, you know, I raised my girls in West Philadelphia and the talk then was very similar to what it would be now. And that is survival. Like we had to survive in the neighborhood too. We had a lot of gunfire. And I remember the time I made a decision I have to move was I sent them out to go to the school bus and um, I'm laying in bed. They could say just left all three of them. And I heard gunfire and I couldn't determine had they left. Enough, there was enough time that had passed that they should be safe from the gunfire that I heard mm -hmm. or, are they too close to the gunfire? And I said, that's it. We got to move. We got to move. I immediately went to look for them, called the school, made sure they were okay. And they were okay. They had already gotten on the bus. Um, but same thing with police, you know, that it's hard to teach your child that police are your friends um, because it's terrifying. I saw a video on Facebook where a, a female police officer, white woman came up to a black child and she was terrified. We shouldn't have to be terrified of people that we pay mm -hmm. through, you know, through our taxes to protect us and our families. We should not be terrified. I'm gonna tell you a story and it's happened twice so far. My adult daughter in her thirties, she 
um, was was followed and her husband and her with her kids in the car were followed two different times by police officers in Georgia. Georgia is a terrifying state for most African-Americans if you're living outside of the Atlanta area. It's very um, Confederate, very antebellum still. And so you don't know, you know they're looking for something when they're following you because they're running your tags. Luckily they're clean, their tag and everything is clean. They don't have any history, no warrants, anything like that. But that's what they're looking for. And But you don't know if they're gonna pull you over for any you know, trivial reason or made up reason. She broke down each time. She's broke, broken down crying, crying as they're following her um, and posting on social media that she's being followed by a police officer because she's terrified. Um, and they will follow you for miles. And that should not be. And even myself, if, you know, when a cop was behind me, I was shaking and I was like praying, Lord, please don't let them stop me because they're going to automatically think I'm guilty of something because I'm so scared because mm -hmm. I'm so scared. Um, so those are the talks we have. I have my adult children. We have it around the table. We have them on social media. And again, I always tell them your goal is to get back here to your children, to get back here to me, make sure you stay safe. Um, as far as early childhood um, aspect of it, um, for younger children, uh, like Georgina's doing, building that positive self-esteem and uh, uh, letting them know about their culture and make raising strong children. And it's a shame we have to raise children so to be so strong because you know, society will break them down, you know? So you have to raise them. But I, my saying, I have a quote that you have to build them up so no one can break them down, mm. right? And it's really, really um, a shame that we have to do that because they should have that, be able to just be kids, you know, have fun and enjoy and play with their friends down the street, like Danny's daughter. That should not be happening. Um, but we have to also give them tools to handle racism. Um, like I had talked about earlier, the clapbacks. Um, because there are bullies in school, but um, racist bullies are the epitome of bullies. That is um, the epitome of, of bullying is racism with a dose of oppression, right? So we have to teach our children um, how to handle these things, uh, you know, to go to the teacher first. And on so many occasions, teachers don't respond because they don't know how to respond. Some of them, some of them don't care. Some of them are white supremacists in disguise. So that might not work. So you tell them if you don't, you don't get any response from the teacher, come talk to me. Then you go talk to the principal. Some of the principals are exactly the same. So you go to the principal and you don't get a response. Then guess what? Your butt better show up at a board meeting and get on the agenda. You can call ahead of time and do that. Every school district, get on the agenda and you let them have it. Let them have it because your child's life is at stake. These are scars that last a lifetime if they are not handled properly. You know, children are being abused at school. I have, you know, we've become activists over at Successful Black Parenting. I get a lot of parents that say, hey, this happened at my school or this happened to my child. And as soon as we write the company or the school about it with Successful Black Parenting magazine as our social media handle or from our email, they get really nervous. They don't know how big we are. They don't know about Successful Black. They don't know where this little teen magazine is trying to make it. <laughs> they don't have no idea. They just know that, um, you know, it's a magazine. Now it might get out nationally. Actually, we're international, even though we're small, we're still international. And they respond. Uh, we had uh, great uh, luck with um, the, the the boy who um, had his locks um, and he was gorgeous. And he went to Six Flags and we, you know, we wrote to Six Flags. We um, the press picked it up from our Twitter and then he got a job as a model. Um, we've had um, another parent 
who um, didn't go viral, but her son was um, got punched in the face. He's a little guy, like eight years old, got punched in the face by a racist bully at school, about nine years old, punched him in the face or slapped him in the face as he's walking down the hall and asked him, how did, he, how did he like that? He got punched in the stomach and then he just had enough, right? And so he fought back. And when he fought back, you know, none of those kids got in trouble all those times they abused him, even though he reported it to the teacher directly. But as soon as he fought back, he became the aggressor. He became the director and we can have that because this boy is an A student and he minds his business and he loves school up until that point. So we had to go to the school district. So these are things you have tools in your arsenal, but you have to use them. You have to use them. Yeah. Janice, you, you listen, I feel like I'm going to have to play this entire thing. And just, I've been trying to take notes as, as we've been going along. Um, but so many, so many important points there. Um, Danny, I don't think we've heard from you yet. Have you, I know it seems like you've, definitely had some encounters and some situations um, with your with your daughter and, and with the world outside. How have you been approaching these situations with her? Yeah, so we've had um, several different variations of the talk, right? It, incrementally, and uh, just how you were saying, it, it, it continues. It's, it's a continuous talk. The mm -hmm. talk, may, it may be the talk, and we all understand what the talk is, but it is a continuation of the talk. And I remember uh, when my daughter was two, uh, we got pulled over. Um, and I, I think I was I was speeding. I was maybe, I was maybe going over, uh, over maybe like 10, 10 miles to 10 miles over. Got pulled over. My daughter was in the back seat. She was like, I don't like police. I don't like this. And I was like, baby, you can't like, don't say that. Baby. Don't say that. And the and the, this is when the cop is, is at the window and he's like laughing and joking. But in, in my mind, I'm like, man, I'm glad this dude is laughing and joking because some some people might not laugh and joke. And this is this is before uh, Orlando Castillo. So in my mind, I'm thinking, I have my daughter in the back seat. Nothing bad is going to happen. Come to find out the next year, or maybe two years later, Philando Castile happens. And I'm, I'm shocked. They're, it doesn't matter what situation you're in. Mm -hmm. They perceive you as a threat by your skin color, by, by, by what you look like. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. They will take you away from your family right in front of your family. And that, and that is demoralizing. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, I, yes, I've had several conversations with my daughter. Uh, we've had we've had conversations around uh, skin skin tone. We've had conversations around hair. We've had conversations around um, uh, same same as both 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 of you, Georgina and Makeda, about being you know one of the only black kids in in her area in, in her school. Um, so we've had several different conversations. The conversation that we just had most recently um, was probably the toughest. I do a lot of work on social media um, and she sees that. So she saw all the protests. She saw, you know, all the, the, uh, the parents with kids holding signs. And she, she was like, you know, what is that? What, what's, what's going on? And I had to explain to her, you know, based on what you look like, there will be people who will treat you wrong, who will want to do harm to you. And even people who are supposed to protect you, like the police, they will be out there looking for to harm you because of what you look like mm -hmm. and for her it was it was just she couldn't believe it like she couldn't fathom it like i'm five she's she's five years old why should she why should she have to and you know we did have a, a bit of a back and forth and she she tried to understand as much as she could but i know this is a conversation that we're gonna have to have again when she's eight i know this is a conversation we're gonna have to have again when she's 12 when mm -hmm. she's 16. ongoing and ongoing um Personally, 
I didn't have I didn't have as many of those conversations as I wish I would have. I remember as a kid, um, we're in the neighborhood. I live in a area which is pretty good mix. Um, so it was a bunch of white kids, a bunch of black kids. We're outside playing basketball or something like that. One of the neighbors calls the cops. Cops show up, sends all the white kids into the house. Says, "I know, I know, it wasn't you guys." Sends all the white kids into the house. Sits all the black kids down on the curb. And if it wasn't for the fact that there was a, 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 a I think it was a, a older black couple who was walking by, if it wasn't for them, I don't know what situation we would have been in. But they came, they they saw what happened, they came up and they stood up for us. And that's what we need in our community. We need to be a, be there as the parents, as the leaders, as fathers, as mothers, as whatever, as activists taking the lead in situations like this. And Janice, to to your to your credit, you you're talking about how the team at Six Flags who got fired for having dreads and you're and you're there using your platform to be an activist to help out and get him the justice that he deserves and i think that even with even without successful black parenting you would have done something mm -hmm, absolutely <laughs> you know i i would have probably felt a little more powerless but he didn't get hired is what happened he went for a job interview he wasn't working oh, okay. there now he wanted and he man he needs he was a beautiful boy and, he, and his hair was neat. I saw nothing wrong with what he looked like, but they did. Right. Um, so, I, it, you know, uh, he was one of others. So what happens is we have a lot of press that follows us and kind of uses our stories as jumping points or if you want to put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, but they, they do. They really do. So um, I noticed that when we post a lot of things that it'll be in the news, like uh, maybe like three to four days later. Yeah. Uh, so um, I've had a lot of success with that and getting people, uh, people's attention. Right. Um, but yeah, so yeah. I, I try to do what I can. Yeah. Yeah. And we all have platforms. We all have platforms, mm -hmm. whether that be social media platforms or just our own community. We all have platforms that we can use our voice to stand up for what's right. Mm -hmm. Should I see you? Oh, sorry. No, no. Oh, no, I was going to I said, I saw you see you trying to get it. <laughs> No, I just want to, because I felt like you both hit on two good points, Janice and Danny, because I think just from a team perspective, I just want to go back there. Um, Janice, you were talking about moms or parents in general, moms, dads, parents going to leadership at schools and advocating because those racist bullies will haunt your child forever. And I know I don't have a teen, but as a teen, I remember that happening for me. Like I remember the bully at my school was the principal. I grew up in rural South Carolina. My school population was no more than 250. And I was the valedictorian straight A student. And he knew that. And he told me, the principal told me, I will be damned if you are the person saying the commencement speech your senior year. So I went and told my mom and she knew she wouldn't get what she said. She knew she wouldn't get what she needed from that principal. So she went to that superintendent. She went all the way up and she fought for me year, for four years straight at that school from my freshman year to my senior year, fought to make sure they tried suspending me. They tried doing all types of things to put me in this pipeline. And I and I bet you I spoke <laughs> for valedictorian because my mom didn't give up and she really fought for me to get what I deserve because I was that bright student. But I do think that bully did shake, sh did shake me though. Mm -hmm. I'm an adult, you know, now working in corporate America and it still bothers me that a white man 
I still fear white men to the point they could have power to take something I worked hard for just because of what happened in my teenage years, right? So I think it is really important for us as parents to continue to fight for our children, to continue to build them up, because I just wouldn't want that like subconsciously to happen that just what I feel now, whenever a white man at, in corporate America says they're not pleased with something I've done, to feel like they could take something away from me that I worked hard for just because of the color of my skin. So I love the points that you all are hitting on. And I love that we're thinking about how a village can advocate or use their power to create change and push those bullies out because we don't need them, especially in our school systems with our children. Not at all. Not at all. And, and it takes everybody, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like as a result of, um, it's, it's interesting, I feel like my, my job has been sanitizing the, the killing of George Floyd by, by, by civil unrest. It sounds so civilized, right? It's, it's just civil unrest. Um, and so I've had a number of people reaching out to me and saying, you know, Makeda, I'm so sorry this is happening. What do I do? And, you know, my message has been, you know, one, I, I do believe that, that there is power in allyship, right? Um, but your allyship is not texting me because it's sexy right now. Your allyship is in speaking up when you are the only white person in the room and a comment is made. Your allyship is when you, you witness something and you go to a supervisor, you go to someone in leadership and you right a wrong. Because unfortunately, the reality is that your, your, your voice and your opinion is gonna carry more weight than mine in, in, in many, many instances, you know? But it just goes to this point that we have to be the protector of our children. We are our children's first protector. Um, and, 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 we are the and we are the protector of each other. Um, and it's unfortunate because I feel like I'm in a battle, right? Like I feel like I have to like put armor on every single day when I take my child to school. I recently had a situation where a teacher in this, you know, whole learning from home situation never once reached out to us, right? Never once, um, you know, checked in on the class, checked in on students, nothing. But then gave my son a three out of a, four, a scale of one to four. And when I emailed him and the principal, he responds to me by my first name um, while responding to the principal as Mr. or principal trogish or whatever, and then goes on to try to convince me that a three is a perfect score and that I should be happy with the grade that he gave my son. When I lit all the locks on my head, I can't even, I want to make sure that I am not disrespectful to anybody, but I lost it, right? And it was just another instance where I feel like we see that we have to be our children's first protector. And we also have to, like many of you have said already, you know, be in situations where we explain to our children, you know, you kind of go through these steps. Janice, I think you were the one that talked about it, right? It's almost like a process of escalation. Um, but know that you come back and you tell me because I will deal with that, right? Um, so powerful. I feel like we kind of started talking about, you know, what are the mechanisms um, and what are the opportunities for engagement to be able to make sure that our voice is heard? Um, and I feel like, you know, this isn't something that, that people tell us, right? I mean, Janice, I really liked the way that you framed it because as, as, a, as, a, as a parent of younger children, I'm from St. Croix, but I'm living in DC, you know, I never had to deal with 
going to school boards or my mom never had to deal with going to, to school boards with me growing up, right? I mean, she was an advocate for our education and she made sure that we were challenged, but this is a little bit different. So can you talk a little bit more about how as parents, we must stay engaged, we must be aware of, of, of the mechanisms around us and the systems around us and to understand that we have to participate and to play a role in them so that we can be a voice to our children and to other children, right? Because that's something else that I've been realizing as of late, where I've, I've, I've had instances with teachers who are rude, who are disrespectful, that, that do a number of things. And when I go off on, on the administration at our school, I tell them, I'm not only going off for Che and Jasir, please understand that, but I'm also going off for every other parent that does not have a voice, that, mm -hmm. that feels marginalized and feels silenced and will not tell you that you're doing the wrong thing, right? So I'm not only doing it for my son, because I will make sure that you are in tip-top shape, but I'm also doing it for other parents. So talk to us a little bit more about how we can be engaged in the process and to make sure that that we we really do the right thing by standing by all of our children. Right, well, uh, first of all, you definitely need to be engaged. Um, as I'm talking to you as a former teacher and as a parent, um, uh, if you're not engaged, your children will lose out at school. Um, the more you're seen, the more they see your child outside of school activities, um, actually the more perks you get, believe it or not, I've seen it. Um, you know, the football players, no matter if they're black or whatever, if they're winning for the team, oh, you're great all of a sudden, right? So, but, and if you're the, in the PTO and you're the loud parent, you're going to get whatever it is, uh, the attention that you need and for your child. Um, as a teacher... I can tell you that there are teachers in your child's school right now, a lot of them, that uphold white supremacy. Hmm. Half of them don't even realize they're doing it, but they do. I've seen them do it. I've seen them um, profile a black teen who had a great personality, um, was a wanderer. You know, he'll get that pass and wander the hallway, see his favorite teachers um, and say that he was problematic. The white student who is doing the exact same thing, oh, he's going to be a leader. He's really great. And I would have to say things like, uh, yeah, but this black child, he's going to be able to sell anything to anyone. He's going to be a great salesperson because he has that charm and personality and that smile. And they look like at me like I was the pariah. Like, what? <laughs> no. You know, um, as, in faculty meetings, I've heard teachers refer to black students as uppity. And we know that that's a cold word, right? Uppity. Hell, I'm uppity. <laughs> I'm proud of it. Okay. Right? So um, I've heard principals and administrators say things like, here are our test scores. And it's only one group that's pulling us down. And you know what the group they're talking about. But their Asians were doing great. <laughs> So these are comments, real life comments I lived through. And as soon as I heard things like uppity, my head goes like this. <laughs> and I started looking around, all the other black teachers like, yeah, it is, yeah, what we gotta do? You know, we gotta do something. But what um, I've also found, and I know I'm, I'm going all kinds of places, is that the people who come to me for advocacy, a lot of times, mostly almost every time, they're, they're having a problem is because their child is the only black kid in the classroom. Their child is the only black kid at the school. 
in the neighborhood, um, et cetera. So my Roomba just went off. So it just totally messed me up. I got to turn that off. I'll do it in a minute. Um, but yeah, so um, that's, that seems to be an issue. Mm-hmm. I really advocate for people who are homeschooling children to start looking into changing the rules so you can take on more children, just like a family daycare home kind of thing and teach and build your schools from there. We have to start building our own schools. We really do. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to remind people because I see so many great comments over here um, and questions that we're going to answer your questions at the end. But some of the tactics that you can use as a parent is to always be prepared. You know, just like a, um, a Girl Scout prepper, always be prepared. And whenever they have your children have to deal with the police, teach them, you know, don't fight back, don't run, stay calm. And you have to remind them sometimes that's not even going to work. It's not going to work. Um, and let them know it's tough. It's going to be scary to think this. Um, but whatever happens in a situation like that, whether it's administrator, whether it's police, is not your fault. You know, you are a warrior. I saw someone write that earlier. You are worthy. No matter what happens, hold your head up high. You're my child. Remind them, I love you. I love you. And and don't change who you are. Be proud. Georgina, don't let your son change who he is. I tell him to be proud of that, um, that you will get through this together. It's not a you problem. It's a them problem. And you can still change the world. And you, as a parent, will help them do it. That's the advocacy that our children need. And they need to know that they are safe. When all of this is done and this talk is over for the day, because it's a continuous, because freedom is a continuum. You know, freedom is not free. We have to work for it. So this is part of our fighting for freedom. So it's a continuum. It's going to go on and on. But at the end of all of these talks, each and every time, no matter how old your child is, make sure, do you feel safe? Even if you don't feel safe, Every time you have to make sure that they feel safe. Mm-hmm. That's it. I'm going <laughs> to pop out for one minute, but you guys keep talking. Georgina and Danny, what about you? How, how, what, what sort of guidance do you feel like you have for making sure that we do give a voice to our children, to all of our community's children? So I'll go back into what I was saying before. I think that we all have a platform. I think that every single person, no matter what it is that you do, no matter how important that you think you are, at the end of the day, we're all human beings. And at the end of the day, we all have a voice. And you should use that voice in no matter in, in any which way possible to, to get your message out there. I was thinking about you know all the things that people are calling for, right? People are calling for the, the police to be defunded. People are qual- calling for qualified, qualified immunity to be ended. People are calling for people to vote. You know, There's all these things that people are calling for. But at the same time, I'm seeing all these different instances of people taking action right now. Mm-hmm. You have pro- protesters pulling down Confederate statues. You have uh, there's there's a woman here in D.C. Uh, her name is Kezia Williams. She she started something called My Black Receipt, in which she called on people to uh, buy black and upload their receipts. And she didn't really know how well it's going to do. In five days, a million dollars worth of receipts were uploaded from black businesses. Oh wow. There's so much that can be done. Think about how, how Janice, you were just saying we need to own our own schools and and how uh, LeBron James opened up a school, how he had how he had the finances and the power to be able to do something like that or how he's how, how he and his business partner just opened up um, or just got some money to now start a production company to tell black stories. 
there is so much that anybody at any level can do all the the, the, the different there's there's no difference between you know you and i between myself lebron between you and you know my you know it, we're all at the end of the day we're all people and we all have an ability we just have to start from somewhere and i think right now what we're seeing is a lot of people are starting Mm-hmm. A lot of people are starting to wake up. A lot of people are starting to realize that th- that something needs to be done and they're doing it. So I think, you know, if, if it's voting, understand who, who is in your, your local elections. Don't just vote on party lines. Mm-hmm. Don't just vote blue or red. Right. <laughs> um, so understand who is actually uh, who's actually running, what they actually stand on. Do some research. And it's going to take a little bit of research, but do the okay. research because this is very important. These are the people who at a local level control a lot of, uh, control your community, control your, your town. So these are the things that are very important to, for us to be able to, to, to take a look into and to just be accomplishing. Like like myself, Strong Black Fathers, I just wanna, I want to to uplift Black Fathers. I wanna dispel a stereotype. That That's my, that's my, that's my goal. And I'm going to work towards it. I think that we all have a goal that we need to work towards. And because of this, it's it's gonna propel more and more things. I just partnered up with uh, the Dad Gang uh, on Father's Day to march on DC, and there was you know over a hundred of us out there, signs marching from the African American History Museum to Black Lives Matter Plaza, and it was beautiful. It was amazing to see. And I think right now is the time that we do not take our foot off the gas. We just keep powering down. We had a, we we were discussing earlier about how uh, Band Aid just created the the those band-aids for for everybody people have been petitioning band-aid to do that for decades mm-hmm, right for real they've been petitioning crayola to have crayons markers for decades mm-hmm. i have a friend uh his his little sister started something called bellin's bellin's uh bellin's colors she she wanted bellin's i'm sorry it's more than more than a peach project what she wanted to do was get rid of the fact that anytime somebody asked her for the skin color they, or anytime she asked somebody for skin color, they would pass her peach. And she got tired of it. This girl is, you know, maybe 10, 11 years old. And she started. She wanted, She reached out to Crayola and said, hey, would you guys want to partner with me? They said, no, nah, we're good. Guess what they did? Took the idea. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, we we all have a voice. We just need to power through. We need to stick, stick you know, buy black no matter what at any situation. Janice, you were just talking about the Band-Aid brand that is a Black-owned Band-Aid brand who's been doing this. Mm-hmm. So we need to we need to be active and um, cognizant of these businesses that are out there and and uh, you know patron with them. Give make sure our money goes to these companies versus these big brands who do not care about us. Absolutely. Right, because your children are watching. Your children are watching, and with that, it's some stick togetherness. I want to kind of speak to that a little bit, because one of the things I really hate seeing on um, social media, especially, is that uh, us not sticking together. I'm not talking about not speaking out about things that are wrong, because there's some people out here that are basically sellouts. I, you know, I say, you know, whatever, say whatever, <laughs> sell out, whatever you want to say, go for it, because um, we've had sellouts from the beginning of time and they're still here today. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, one of the things that I can, as an example, the Black Lives Matter Plaza, when the mayor decided to do that, you had people saying, oh, that's cute, but it's not enough. That's not, keep that to yourself. That kind of, those little comments that don't help, um, (laughs) you need to really learn to keep it to yourself. 
one thing that we used to do, do um, back in the day, if you know, we would stick together. Like we wouldn't. We it's no way we're going to show our dirty laundry to right. other white people out there. We wouldn't do it. Like we're going to say. And I hate to use this example because we know the truth. But even when OJ went down, all black people were like, "He ain't do it," because we were so tired of um, mm-hmm. black of uh, you know white people getting away with stuff. That when he did it, we were like, "He ain't do it." Of course, we know, you know, the truth came out much later and we know that we kind of knew the truth back then, but we would not let go of that. But to stick together, and I'm not saying do something that's wrong or go with it, but we need to stick together um, and support each other. It's so important, whether it's buying black, whether it's keeping your mouth shut sometimes and just letting people keep helping you to progress because that's what they're working on. I'm still not saying, you know, don't, if it's wrong, it's wrong. But when it, when we're doing something to move forward, if you're not helping that and, you know, so what the mayor did the Black Lives Plaza and it looks nice. It's empowering. It's empowering to our children. Um, it's empowering to us. I want to go see it. And then I saw on social media in one place where they painted it, the um, police were protecting a group of people painting a blue line over it. You know, they were there protecting them and they painted over their Black Lives Matter. Um, it wasn't in DC. I don't even remember where it was. So you know, there are people working against us. We don't need ourselves working against us. We need to stand together. And if you don't have anything positive to say that's going to move it forward, or you're not out there marching, you really don't have a lot to say. Um, you know, being a social media advocate is really not enough today, these days. Just like being not racist is not enough. You have to be anti-racist. Being a social media advocate is not enough. Um, the riots, though, I want to go back to that a little bit. Has um, I heard a lot. I had to. I was busy typing, and you get tired, you know, of um, debating people. But the, uh, I remember when the riots first started, and I was, you know, of course, I don't condone violence, but I know this country was built on violence, and that's how things got done. So when it happened, I was like, I understand it. I'm not hating them for it, and I get it. I get it. You know, would I go burn somebody's business down? No, I'm not going to do that. And I don't condone burning down businesses in our neighborhood that are ours, for sure. I understand the the anger against the corporations for not helping and not being there for us. I get all of that. But, you know, of course, I wouldn't do that. But riots have traditionally gotten attention, even down to our Civil Rights Act that Martin Luther King nonviolently wanted to get. It wasn't until the riots in Birmingham that he could get a seat with JFK to talk about this civil rights act. And even though he didn't have anything to do with the riots, the president wanted him to do something about it to help because he was the peaceful one. So mm-hmm. then he got a meeting with JFK and he said, and he used that and he said, okay, if you want me to do something, this is what I need you to do. You need to make this a bill so that it can go into law that black people have civil rights. And before JFK could make it a law, he was assassinated, convenient, right? So he was assassinated and then, you know, finally, after more riots, because Martin Luther King was assassinated, then um, Johnson made it into a law. So riots have been from the Tea Party on down. And, and there were the Tea Party for people who don't know history didn't last one day. They burned down buildings. They burned down ships. We have been built on violence. So it has made change. Look what happened since we had the, the riots. We had eight police officers, I think, um, indicted or charged. Um, when before with Eric Gardner, we couldn't we couldn't get in, you know, five years it took, right? When we were marching, we were marching peacefully. So Martin Luther King said riots are the language of the unheard. We were being not heard. No one was inviting us to the table. So it's a process that's going to happen if you're not 
listening. And all I mean, it's not a lot to ask to listen, to mm -hmm. listen and then to make some action. But if you're not even willing to listen, this is what happens. So um, right now we need the fraternal order of police, who is one of the biggest culprits of keeping this um, police brutality alive to sit at that table and do something. They are the biggest union nationally for the police. Um, they have protected the police in that blue line like it was their lifeline. And they have done it forever. If they're not sitting at the table with administration of this, this country, we're not going to see change. So that's the one thing we need to do. In addition to that, we got going to vote, right? We're going to vote like our lives depend on it because our lives do and our children's lives depend on it. We are going down burning in flames right now. And you don't think we can get any lower. I would debate that because every time I think we can't go any lower, we do. So I need you guys to vote like your lives depend on it. It's really important. And just lastly, I just want to say being a grandmother, I have more worries because they say when they are little, they sit on your lap is the same, but when they're older, they, they're on your heart. Um, mm -hmm. I not only have to worry about um, my grandchildren, but I have to worry about um, my son-in-law, you know, coming home safely to his you know, children, my, you know, and making sure he's safe. Um, he is one of my, my son-in-law in Georgia, who I was talking about earlier, he's a gentle giant like George Floyd, you know? He's a high school art teacher with locks like Philandro Castile. And he lives in Georgia, not far from where Ahmaud Arbery was killed by racists. So um, it's, it's important um, that you as a parent protect your child. Know that your mother, your father are going through even more worries about you because they're not only worried about you, they're worried about your children, they're worried about your husband because we don't want our grandchildren to be fatherless either. No. And that's sad. No, no, because we need them to, to Danny's point, right? You have to dispel those myths and keep them here. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, I too, I have a brother that lives in Georgia and he drives and, and does gigs all around the South. And there have been times where I have woken up out of my sleep at two o'clock in the morning and called him just to make sure that he's okay, right? Or my partner may be on the road late at night and I will wake up, right? I will have a bad dream and I will wake up and I'll check on my children, right? So these, these, these are things that are a reality unfortunately, for so many of us. Um, I'm checking the time and I see we're at 12.13 and I know we promised to end around 12.30. So Georgina, I wanna uh, kind of shoot the one question that is I'm seeing um, over to you. It's from Afia Frederick, she's in Maryland and she asks, would you suggest us raising race and skin color and our unique and special differences, our children before the world does? And, and for context, she offers that her son is two and she's wondering if she can and his here from now, even though it's only two. Yeah, and I mean, I can talk to that a little bit. I definitely recommend it. I mean, the more and more I read and expose myself to how we need to educate our children, they start recognizing skin colors, facial structures, all of that between six months at six months age. And Janice, feel free to jump in. I know you're the early education specialist, but they already know, like they already start to show favoritism to different dolls and to different cartoon characters. So I definitely think the more and more you can expose them to um, different cultures, to our skin colors, to dolls, to cartoon, like anything to show like, 
how beautiful black and brown is that that all the Maria makes your child more confident. So you have to start that from early on. But I'll pass it to Janice, who's the early education specialist. Well, that was a different question, actually. Yeah. And this is a good one. So Janice, this question is from Erica Goodwin, and she asks, how does the talk change, or does it really, for children and young adults with special needs or a disability? Well, my, my youngest brother um, was mentally challenged. And I got to tell you, um, I had to call for a wellness check for my mom who took care of him. And he was, you know, he's, um, he's not, he has a mental uh, capacity of a six-year-old, but he was in his forties. So I had to tell the sheriff, look, if something's wrong with my mother, he will be distraught. He will be loud. He will be yelling. He'll be, you know, moving fast. Do not shoot my brother. So, Police don't understand, you know, disabilities. They don't because we had the one incident where the counselor was protecting his disabled student on the street, laying flat with his arms up on his stomach, you know, had his, he was laying on his stomach, arms up, and the, the guy was rocking next to him. He was begging them not to shoot his student, and they still shot their guns and shot the counselor in the hip. Hmm. Police don't get it. Um, Every disability is different, so it depends on how much your child can understand. As a parent, you are their protector. At school, even, because the teacher is your assistant, and that's with any parent. The teacher is your assistant. You're the primary teacher. So the only thing you can do is to protect them when you're with them. Depending on how much they understand, you, you can have the talk, but you still have to break it down to what they can understand. Um, it's very scary for a parent with um, a child with disabilities. Um, so depending on their what their understanding level is, still have the talk. Um, even with my brother, we would tell him things that he couldn't and could not do. And we had to take things from them him um, when he thinks he liked just so that he could understand if this happened and you did this in school and it will work. So it depends on, you know, your um, your child and what they can and cannot understand. Um, so just, just as a parent, you're the biggest advocate for the rest of their lives when they right. have disabilities. Right. It doesn't end at 18 or at 21. Right. And I just um, want to say just one thing, because Georgina mentioned something earlier and you're right. Um, we just did an article. We partner with the, uh, American psychological association to provide content to our site that is research-based. And they did a story called children are not colorblind four ways to talk to young children about race. And we have all of these wonderful topics on our, our website about, um, these issues that we're talking about right now. So, um, even helping your child to navigate a racist world. These are some articles that parents can find as resources to help them to get through this. Thanks, Janice. Um, Danny, I, I really want to ask you this, this next question because I feel like you you talked quite a bit about stereotypes and, and how you are on a, a campaign to dispel and also to extinguish the, the stereotypes that have traditionally been associated with, with Black men as fathers and their presence in the home and their presence in their children's lives. Um, be, so the, the question is, and I'll, and I'll tell you why, why, why I want to ask you, but I think you'll, you'll understand. It's from Jen Ford, and she asks, how open are you about your own trauma, insecurity, empowerment regarding racism and anti-racism with your kids? And I, I'm curious about it because I kind of feel like there is this sense a lot of times that, you know, as a Black man, you have to be 
um, just, you know, unmovable, unshakable, without feeling, just strong, right? Like there is this connotation um and i feel like a truth to a certain extent that black men like you're almost not allowed to have feelings you're just supposed to be strong and you're just supposed to be there right so how do you find balance between um what the expectations sometimes are um whether they be of others for you or you for yourself um and 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 also with being vulnerable and you're a, a, a girl dad so i feel like you definitely could add some wonderful perspective here yeah so uh to address you know the question uh, how open am i about my trauma as my daughter gets older i'm going to be extremely open like these stories some of these stories that i just shared with you i'm going to be sharing with her the the more stories like i have i have many stories i'm going to share with her i want her to understand like i said earlier the world that we actually live in um, I, do, I do want her to understand that she has power um, as a person to shape the world, shape the world around her and shape the world moving forward. I, I believe everybody does. So I do want I do want her to know that. Um, but for myself, you know, it's funny that you say that because. Growing up, most of the black men in, in my life were uh, that strong, silent type, you know, don't say too much, don't really have any feelings, just go to work and do your job and that's it. And for me, growing up, I didn't really understand what it was to be a, a strong man. I thought that's what it was. You know, like that's what I'm saying. So I'm like, okay, that's that's what it is. I gotta be strong and silent and quiet and just do work. But as I as I got older, especially when I had my daughter, all that shifted. You know, hashtag girl dad is is trending. And you know, once I became that girl dad, once I looked at my daughter's eyes, I, I became soft. I'll 100 percent admit it. And and it, it's it's opened me up in a way that I didn't really I didn't really think that I I, I could have been, um, and I'm sensitive with my daughter. I'm caring. I'm loving. I'm I'm all these things that I didn't see. Mm-hmm. And you know, going back to you know, strong black fathers. That's that's really why I started because my daughter. She she gave me the opportunity to do all the things that I did not see and that I wish I would have had. And I think as men, we need to be more open with our feelings and not only to our daughters, to our sons. And I think that is the most important thing to our sons, because our sons watch us, our, our children all, all together watch us. But our sons emulate their fathers because, you know, they say that uh, a father is, is the son's first hero. Mm-hmm. So our, our sons emulate us and want to be like us because they they see they see us as the the man of the house, the man of the family. So we need to be able to be open, be emotional, be caring and speak truth. Be open about that truth, because right now, everything that's going on, I guarantee that, you know, there are a lot of people who don't know what to say. And that's why we're having this conversation right now. There are so many people out there right now who don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. And the place to start is to just be open and honest. Yeah, because nobody has the 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 right the right answers we we don't know the exact right answers we only know our answers and i think that's where we should start okay you're right we have one more question um and then i want to start kind of beginning to close down so anyone who, who who resonates with this i think should answer it it's from ngazi kami and she asks how do you approach kids who are still seemingly ob- um, seemingly oblivious to the harsh realities that that they will face as a result of racism without taking away their innocence. One of my greatest fears is that I'm not exposing my eight-year-old Black daughter to enough, 
But if I enlighten her about it too much, then I feel like I'm altering the sincere purity um, of, of her childhood. That's a heavy one. Okay. Okay. I just want to say one thing real quick, just real quick, and I want you to expound on it deeper. Um, but for me, it's do I want to do I want to tell my daughter about this or do I want the world to to tell my daughter about this? And the world is not going to be as kind as me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And I would just say that I was having that same struggle. And I just think it's this it's this model that my mentor told me and you can take it or you can leave it. But they taught me E3. So it's empathize, educate, empower. So empathize, just wherever she is in her mind, meet her there. Like empathize with her, like whether it's she's just into the show, wherever she is at that time, like empathize with her, try to feel like what emotion she's feeling and then use that to educate her, right? Use that to tie into a life lesson or whatever you can. Like these are one of the reasons that you guys talked about this earlier that I believe cancel culture is so toxic for our community because we cancel someone the one day they mess something up or say something wrong. And we have to always be constantly educating and getting better and better. I was so ignorant two years ago. Like I probably would have been the person that said, what about black on black crime? But because someone took the time to educate me and made sure I was aware of systemic racism and stuff, like I know more now, right? So empathize, educate. You want your child to be educated and articulate about what's going on for what's appropriate for their age. And then the last thing, empower them. Give them a task to do something that ties it all together. Give them a little call of action. Like for one of the lessons I had with my son, the empower task was we're going to go to the black farmer's market. I want because he was saying something about black people shouldn't be anywhere near farm because slaves did that. And I'm like, no, like we are going to farm. We're going to do different things. Like we are going to black communities can be empowered. So I use that lesson and the empowerment piece was we're going to go to a black farmer's market. I'm going to expose you to these black farmers who had who were the tillers of the earth and who created this prophet that we know today in, in the South or whatever. And he asked them questions. He engaged with them. So again, meet them where they're at, empathize, educate them, and then empower them with a call to action for them to make it all make sense in their head. That's just my thought on it. But, I feel so. like that, that, that needs to be a hashtag, Joy. That <laughs> <needs to> be. <laughs> no, I love your point. Um, you know, that, that there has to be a call to action. And I want to start off with, with, with Janice as we kind of close out. I know we had some other questions, but I know it's Saturday and everyone has to get to everything. I'm surprised that Che and Jasir have been busted through the door, um, but I will not speak that into existence. <laughs> um, so let's start with you, Janice. What, what is your call to action? Um, you know, what, what, what is your mission going forward, both out of this conversation and just as, as we continue on this journey? Well, we take the E for educate for sure that that Georgina just talked about. So we're going to make sure that you're educated and you know what's happening. Um, I'm going to ask that, you know, there's parents who belong to groups like the NAACP. Challenge them to meet with their local police departments to, you know, in the areas um, and to ask them, you know, well, what about the FOP? You have to say that. I'm not putting I'm putting them, you know, on the burner because they have to buy into this because I am a former wife of a cop. So I have a lot of different pieces to this. If the FOP is not, um, you know, part of this conversation, they will be the ones that will block any progress. 
Um, they have to understand this is just common sense. We want cops to be safe. No one's out there trying to, to say, okay, you know, hurt the cops. Um, they say there are good cops and bad cops. And I say this, well, if the good cops aren't exposing the bad cops, then you're all in the same bunch. And I've said this to my ex, I've said, you know, this, you have to be that person. You can't be complicit. You can't be complacent. You have to be um, that person, even though it makes them a pariah in their unit. It makes them the rat. Um, you have to, whoever is calling you the rat, then is the next person needs to be out of there. Whoever, whether it's the, the, the sergeant, the lieutenant, whoever it is. And a lot of times, even the mayor is not on your side. We need to make sure all of these people have the buy-in because it makes common sense. We, you should not be. I remember um, being young and state trooper pulling us over and they were like to my dad, sir, can I have your driver's license and registration, please? Are you having a good day, sir? Just it was beautiful. It was yeah. beautiful. And then yeah. I also remember Philadelphia. We had Mayor Rizzo, who was the the, you know, uh, cop catalyst for abuse on black bodies. And I remember my dad saying this guy is, is bad. So, you know, we know cops can, there are good cops out there that went into it for the right reason. We need them to learn. We, we need to advocate for them to have more training, longer training. Teachers shouldn't be taught or trained more than cops. We, we have more of a longer learning period um, than police officers do. Maybe we should model after some other countries that are doing it right. Um, they should, um, not be able to use force. We should be defunding. They have so much money defunding them and putting that money elsewhere where they don't have to respond to every situation that they're not qualified for. You know, we're not saying don't show don't show up or to, to take all the money from them so they're not there. We're saying reroute that money so that little things that they don't need to be bothered with, like mental health issues. We have someone as a professional that has been trained on how to handle that and won't go out and just shoot a special needs child for being scared. Um, those sort of things. Yes. So my last call to action is to tell you, I don't care if you don't understand politics, you don't like politics, because I've heard all of these excuses, you don't do politics, you need to do politics, because if you don't do politics, politics will do you. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? You have to go out and vote. Um, I know we're in the middle of Corona uptick, you know, again, from the first wave still, you know, protect yourself, get your mask, wear double mask. I don't know what, you know, bubble tent, whatever you need to do, you have to go in there and vote. You have to, if you do absentee ballot, like we do in California, do that, do your research ahead of time. Like Danny says, I'm on Googling. When I don't recognize a candidate, I'm Googling. I want to know, are they far right? Are they far left? Are they in the middle? Are they going to hate me and my kids? I need to know these things. Are they going to work against us? So that's my call to action is vote like your life depends on it because it really does. It did in 2016 and it does in 2020. Absolutely. Absolutely. Joy? Um, I would say that my call to action is just to make sure that we are being aware of where our children are. And like that, that was my whole purpose. Like I really want our call to action is to just make sure that we're aware where our children are, we meet them where they are and we continue to pour into them so that they can be better humans. Like, so that this, they don't have to live the same narrative that we're living. I really feel like our youth are really making this a monumental movement. I do feel like this is going to going to take everything to the next level, just like civil rights did back then. But it, we're in the long run, right? We're just at the beginning of this. We still got 
months and years to go before we get there, but it can get there. But we just have to continue to raise this next generation to finish the fight that we're starting right now. So my call to action is to please use all the tidbits that we gave you today that we're putting in the toolkit to continue to pour in your children so that you can raise these unstoppable, brilliant, beautiful Black human beings that are going to really live in a world where they're not where they're, where they're able to survive and thrive and live the lives that we want them to live. So that's my call of action. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Daniel, you? what's your call to action? My call to action, I'm definitely gonna agree with both Janice and Georgina, who you guys both said it beautifully. Vote, pour into your children, but also give to yourself, pour into yourself. Because like I was saying, I, I do believe that every single person has power beyond what they what they might think they, they have. So that same energy that you're pouring into your children, think about what you what you have to offer. Mm -hmm. And I, like like when we like when you were a kid, or like how you tell your tell your kids today that they can do anything that they want to. You need to feel that same energy because at the end of the day, you do have the power to change your community, change the things that are happening around you. You just gotta you just gotta start somewhere. And to the credit of this this panel. Georgina, Makeda, Janice, you guys are inspiration for me. And I really appreciate the fact that we're having this conversation. Thank you so much for, because I, I learned so much. Thank you so much for everything that, you, that you've said. And I can't wait to put this into practice. For sure, for sure. You know, I think for me, um, my, my call to action is to kind of break through any vulnerability or, or insecurity or second thoughts about doing something that you think is a good idea, right? Um, this talk is one of my calls to action. It was a half-baked idea in my, in my head. Um, and I had a conversation with a friend of mine, Afia Fredericks, that's on here. She was like, do it, girl, you know? Um, and I reached out to you all, right? I feel like us being here together today is a testament to community. It's, it's, it's a testament to what can happen when we answer the call. Of, of someone that's in a community because none of you no, none of us knew each other collectively before kind of starting on this journey and and it just you know kind of really speaks to the power that we individually have and the power that we have when we all come together and impact just look at the the comments that have been coming in and the appreciation that has been pouring um you know so i think to to not wait for perfect right because sometimes i feel like we we wait for perfect to make a move and we don't always have to um, so that's, that's definitely one of my calls to action. I, for me, I think another one is, is building generational wealth. I feel very passionately about building generational wealth and, and making sure that we are leaving, you know, definitely a financial legacy for our children. Um, another one is to make sure that I'm teaching my children about Black and African history. And so that's something that some friends of mine and I are working on. You know, we're going to have a little Mommy Saturday Academy and we're going to find ways to reach out children where they are and, and help them to understand about their greatness. Um, because I think it takes a confident and informed, a prideful child to, to grow, to be a force to be reckoned with. Um, and so I would say that's that's another one of my call to action. So I want to say thank you to everyone. I also want to note that we have created a little gift for you, which is uh, the, the talk toolkit. Um, it's stream. I think Janice is, is is putting it across the bottom of the screen. You can find it at bit.ly slash the talk toolkit. Uh, once we finish with with our talk today, we'll make sure that it's in our 
um, social media profile so you can access it there. Uh, you could always DM us and access for a copy of it and we'll make sure to send it over to you. It is uh, basically a, a, a number of, of ways to begin these conversations with our children. It, it is also some conversation starters. It is some things to think about. Um, and, and to figure out how we approach this and how we really make our children even stronger than we are so that hopefully they are part of a society um, that no longer has to have these conversations. But until then, we're going to keep talking. We're going to keep praying over them. We're going to keep pouring love into them. And Danny, to your point, as parents, we're going to put on our, our, our ear mask, our, our oxygen mask first so that we can be available for them. Because I know that's a struggle for myself and I know it's a struggle for a lot of parents, right? We are just so tapped out sometimes that it's hard. So with that, I wanna send you guys huge hugs and thank you, Janice, you're amazing for sharing your platform with us. We really appreciate you. Danny, continue being an amazing black father. We need many, many more like you. Um, and so we're, we're in the same area, I would love to collaborate and see more of you whenever we get a chance. Joy, keep writing. We need to get Che and Romeo together at some point. <laughs> um, but above all, thanks to all of our family and our friends that have supported us, have lifted us up, and have encouraged us. I've seen so many. I've even seen one of my little nieces on here saying, hi, Auntie Makeda. Um, so we love you guys and we really appreci appreciate you. So until next time, we're signing out for now. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine. We'll see you soon.